Titus, are we good to go? Okay, good, good. All right, well, first things first, do not rely on these this morning. So there was a uh, mistake, so if you're looking at class notes for this morning, it actually contains the class notes from last weekend. So uh, the message was so good, we wanted you to read it twice, right? So, but we decided to hand them out anyway, just because it does have the notes from Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of this week. So use those accordingly. And uh, what a beautiful weekend, huh? After a long winter, I think we deserve it. So this is awesome. Okay, this is an expository type teaching where we go through the different books of the Bible verse by verse, and we are currently in the study of Romans. Before we begin our Bible study this morning, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to be sure we are in fellowship with the Father. We do this by taking a moment of silence, allowing time for each one of us to, prov- to privately confess any known sins. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you for this day that we may assemble together as fellow members of the body of Christ and study your almighty word. We give thanks for every individual you've led to your service here this morning, those among us in the chapel, those listening on the internet, and for anyone who may hear this message at a later date. Thank you for our current study of Romans. We pray this service draws us closer to you and that you open our hearts and minds that we may hear what the Spirit has to say to us this morning. May we take what we have learned and apply it to our daily lives. Challenge us to extract our spiritual nourishment and to grow in grace and knowledge of our Savior. We ask that you continue to bring us wisdom and give us strength and perseverance in our trials. Help each one of us to learn in the liberty of your grace, freeing us from legalism, works, and fears, attacking us daily, always keeping you in thought and prayer, bringing glory to you. Thank you for providing us with every spiritual blessing. We thank you for the precious gift of your Son, providing us forgiveness of our sins and our so great salvation. We also give thanks for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, serving as our mentor and teacher and bringing your word alive for us. Thank you, Father, for the blessings and answered prayers of this ministry. Thank you for the provisions of this building and wish to meet on a consistent basis. We also give thanks for the individuals you've raised up in their positive volition to this doctrinal ministry, giving of their time, talent, and treasure. Continue to open doors of opportunity for this ministry to proclaim the gospel message to the world. Thank you for the gift of our pastor and his faithfulness and dedication to teaching your word. Supply him his spiritual and temporal needs. Grant him encouragement through your word, offer him protection for the attacks of the enemy, and give grace to him that your message is spoken with accuracy and clarity, delivering your full counsel. We thank you for the blessings and privileges we have in the United States. We pray for our leaders, our president, vice president, and cabinet members. Give them wisdom, moral courage, and conviction in leading this nation according to your will. Thank you for the men and women in military service. Give them each courage, strength, and knowledge to fight the battle abroad, keeping our nation safe, knowing you are in full control. Thank you for those providing local services, such as law enforcement, firefighters, EMTs, and others who commit to our safety and security here at home. We pray for those who may be experiencing troubles and tribulations at this time, whether it is health, financial, or anything that may be troubling. Lead them to your word for comfort and to continue forward in faith. Father, allow each one of us to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's guidance and direction. Let us be thoughtful and considerate and do nothing to disturb or distract those who are serious students of the word of God. Father, we thank you for who and what you are. May honor and glory be yours. We offer you these prayers upon the merits of Christ, aware of being in union with him and seated at your right hand. In his glorious name we pray. Amen. Would you please rise?
blessing and honor, glory and power be unto the ancient of days. From every nation born of creation, bow before the ancient of days. Every tongue in heaven and earth shall declare your glory. Every knee shall bow at your throne. In worship, you will be exalted, O God. And your kingdom shall not pass away, O ancient of days. Blessing and honor, glory and power. Into the ancient of days From every nation Born of creation Bow before the ancient of days Every tongue in heaven and earth Shall declare your glory Every knee shall bow at your throne In worship you will be exalted O God Shall not pass away, O ancient of days. Your kingdom shall reign over all the earth, singing to the ancient of days. For none can compare to your matchless worth, singing to the ancient of days. Every tongue in heaven and earth shall declare your glory. Every knee shall bow at your throne. In worship, you will be exalted, O God. And your kingdom shall not pass away. Oh, ancient of days, ancient of days. How great thou art, 
And when I think that God is son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in that on the cross my burden gladly bearing he bled and died to take away my sin when Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home what joy shall fill Then I shall bow in humble adoration And there proclaim My God, how great Thou art And sings my soul My Savior God to Thee How great Thou art how great thou art Cleansings my soul My Savior God to thee How great thou art How great thou art How great thou art Sorry about that. <laughs> i got to turn my mic on. Can you check, turn your Bibles to the book of Romans? Romans 15, verse 14. Romans chapter 15, verse 14. Sorry about the uh, class notes this morning. I screwed that up. Though it was very tempting to blame it on Gina, I will not do that. It was my fault. It was my fault alone. But anyways, uh, so she always does a great job on the notes, and she catches a lot of my mistakes, and I make quite a bit of them. But uh, so, uh, also, if, before we get into the way, I'd like to, um, I don't know, did you guys do, do it in the open announcements? I, I was doing something. I don't know what I was doing, daydreaming or something, what I shouldn't be doing. But uh, uh, I'd like to say uh, happy anniversary to uh, Dick and Vi Oberreiter. It's uh, their 50th wedding anniversary. And uh, that's pretty awesome because my parents are coming up on 50. So I just wanted to uh, wish that they're, it, I'm really, um, I'm really uh, proud to have them in my congregation. It's an honor to be your pastor. And uh, so I just wanted to uh, congratulate them on that. 50 years, I'll tell you what, that's a long, long time. 
Man, I'll tell you what, I always tell my mother, you know, you, when you get to heaven, you're going to get a lot of rewards for putting up with my father, so, and all of us kids. And my, you know, my mother, she did all the, she re, pretty much raised us. My dad was working all the time, like a lot of guys, worked three jobs, and my mother was, did it all. And she was the disciplinarian a lot of times. She used to threaten, your father's going to come home and kill you if you don't behave. So but she used to do that. I'm sure you guys understand what I'm talking about there. But she had a... She was the one we feared most because of her Irish temper. She'd never say that. She'd be embarrassed if I told you that, but she's got a hot temper. you got to watch out. You don't mess with an Irish red hair, freckled, short, five-foot-two woman. She's shrinking, though. She's shrinking. She's down to five foot, I think. All right, uh, enough of that. But uh, she'll be at uh, Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter, four, uh, chapter 15, excuse me. Romans chapter 15, verse uh, 14. And uh, what we're going to do this morning... We actually, uh, we finished the main argument of the Roman epistle. Uh, the main argument started in Romans 1.16 and it will, and it ended in Romans 15.13. Now in this main argument of the Roman epistle, Paul presents his gospel. Now one of the reasons why he did that was, as we'll see in Romans 15.15, was to remind them of these things that they were already taught. But also, he wanted to give them, the Roman believers whom he had never met face to face, there were some that he uh, knew in Rome, and he sends greetings to in Romans 16, but he primarily, the the majority of individuals in Rome, he did know, and he heard about him, he had reports about him from friends, and, but he never, they never met him, so he wanted to give them some understanding of what he taught, and how he taught, and what he taught the content of his gospel message. So we're the beneficiaries of that. Two centuries, you know, 21, you know, we're here in the 21st century, and we're benefiting from Paul's, uh, that main argument, where he presents his gospel message to the Roman congregation. Now, we, once we've finished with that, now we're coming into the, the final uh, part of the epistle. And there's some miscellaneous items that Paul wants to discuss uh, with the, uh, the Roman believers. One is travel plans, uh, he wanted to send greetings to people in Rome that he knew. He wanted to give them some final warnings about those who caused divisions. And uh, also he wanted, as you will see here this morning in Romans fifteen fourteen, and we'll see it on Tuesday in Romans fifteen fifteen. Paul wanted to give them, uh, wanted to uh, let them know what he, how he, consider, uh, he considered them, what was his opinion of them. Even though he had never met them, he had reports from people that he respected that understood spiritual things and understood the gospel, had given him reports about the Roman believers. And he, we're going to see in Romans 15, 14, he's going to give his opinion of these individuals and that it's his, actually his firm personal conviction that the Roman believers were full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish one another. And then he says in Romans 15, 15, um, I, I wrote those things in the main argument of the epistle. I commanded you, I made prohibitions, I issued prohibitions to you, and I did so because I was just reminding you, because that's my gift. I'm a gift of a, a communicator of the word of God, a gift of apostleship, and that's what I do. That's my, my responsibility. So we see that he's going to give, a, even though he said those th- he spoke boldly to them in the epistle by issuing prohibitions and commands to him, to them, and they weren't even his congregation. And he could do that because he had the authority as an apostle. And in the first century, apostles had authority over all those churches, all the churches. So Paul is going to make sure that they understand that I am of the firm conviction that you people have your act together as a corporate unit. Now, what I want to pull from this whole thing is, is that the, this church, this Roman church, 
is an example for us as a church to follow. They were never taught by an apostle. They were never instructed by an apostle. In fact, we don't even know the names of their pastors. Uh, we, it may be that there's some of their names are mentioned in chapter 16. We don't know. But he never identifies who these men that taught him the word of God because he, they, he was convinced that they knew all these things that he taught in the Roman epistle that we've studied in detail. And so uh, we see that Paul... Uh, it, what he says to the Roman believers is something we should strive for. His, his firm conviction about the Roman believers as a church, as a corporate unit, should be something that we as a church should strive for. We should be described, uh, if Paul was the walk and had reports about us and uh, from people that visited our church, what would his be, opinion of us be? What would these pe- people's opinions of us be here at Prairie View Christian Church? Would we, would we be characterized as full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to admonish one another, teach one another? Is that the case of us as a church? We don't, we, you know, that's something that we need to strive for. And so this is, uh, this is going to be a challenge, this message. It's going to give us insight into what makes a great church in Paul's eyes. And it's also going to give us uh, something to shoot for as a local assembly. So this morning we're going to study Romans 15, 14, which begins the seventh and final major section of the Roman epistle, which contains some closing remarks. So look at it says in Romans 15, 14. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to also admonish one another. Now, this verse marks a transition, as I said before, from the main argument in the epistle, which was contained in Romans 1.16 all the way to Romans 15.13. It also marks a transition from the sixth major section in the epistle, Romans 12.1 to Romans 15.13, and also the literary unit connected to it in Romans 15.1 to Romans 15, 13. And this verse is transitioning us from those sections to the seventh and final major section of the epistle where Paul presents, as I said before, some miscellaneous uh, thoughts, his travel plans, how he planned to go to Spain. First, he was going to stop off to see them. But before he did that, he'd have to deliver a gift from the Gentile churches in Macedonia and Achaia to the Jewish church in Jerusalem where, who were very destitute because of persecution and there was a lot of people were starving there. So the Gentile churches, as a, temp, a token of fellowship and unity, sent this tremendous gift to these poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem. All that he's going to talk about in chapter 15. And then he says in six, chapter 16, he sends greetings and makes uh, and issues some final warnings. Now, he says, concerning you. Concerning you indicates that the Roman believers, as a corporate unit, and, or we could say uh, they're characterized, He's, he's saying that they're characterized as being full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. That means not everybody was like that, but if you're going to describe the church in general terms characteristically, they were individuals who were full of goodness and filled with all knowledge and able also to admonish one another. So the phrase concerning you indicates that the Roman believers as a corporate unit are the object of Paul's conviction that they're characterized as being full of goodness filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. Now, when he says, my brethren, that's Paul uh, basically showing his humility. It emphasizes with the Roman Christians that they're on equal footing with the apostle and that they're sons of God like him. Now, that's an example for all pastors, all those who are spiritual leaders that communicate the word of God. That's an example for us to follow 
as uh, those who were deacons, any, any position of leadership. We're, to, we're not there to be lord our authority over individuals like the, the Gentiles do and the unbelievers do over their people under the, uh, the, the great men of the world who are unbelievers who lord their authority over those under their authority. We're not to be like that. Paul was saying that I'm one of you. He says, my brethren, you're my spiritual brothers and sisters. The word there, brethren, talks about someone who is Paul's spiritual brother and sister in Christ. So every pastor should look at the fact, his congregation, as those who he serves and that they're his spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ. And you're to treat them as you'd want to be treated. And you're to treat them as your own flock. They're the, actually, they're the flock of the Lord Jesus Christ, who Christ has temporarily de- delegated authority to you over them. So I have to give an account, like all pastors do, for the way I exercise my authority in this ministry. So when he says, my brethren, that emphasizes with the Roman Christians that he's not doesn't think he's better than them. He doesn't think he's better than them at all. He's saying, I'm on equal footing with you in the sense that I'm a son of God like you all are. I'm a son of God through faith alone and Christ alone. I don't have any merit with God. In fact, Paul will tell you, I'm the chief of all sinners. I persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. I was there when I held, I was there when they stoned Stephen, the first martyr of the church, a deacon who proclaimed to the the Jews the gospel, and they stoned him. And who was holding the cloaks of those who killed Stephen? Saul of Tarsus, who later became the great apostle Paul. So Paul's here saying, I'm with you guys. I am just like you, sinners saved by the grace of God. Then he says, I myself also. That's emphasizing Paul's conviction that the Roman Christians were characterized as a corporate unit as being full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to also to admonish one another. Now, here's a very important phrase. He says, and concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. Now, when people look at, at, at this Roman epistle, and they look at the scholars, Bible scholars, Bible teachers, men I respect, people like Cranfield and Moo and Fee and individuals like that, they, they look at this statement and they say Paul did, that Paul is getting involved in what we call, call hyperbole. It's a little bit of an exaggeration, they say. They weren't really like this. That is false. Paul never blew smoke at anybody. If they were wrong in love, he'd tell them. Read the Corinthian epistles. Read the Galatian epistles. In love, he had, he had rebuked them for falling for false teachers, for getting involved in legalism like he did with the Galatians. And he, was, and he called them, oh, foolish Galatians. So if Paul said you were doing well, he'd tell you that. And he wouldn't tell you, if, he wouldn't tell you otherwise if it was the case. If he thought you weren't doing the right thing, if you were in a church that was full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish one another, he wouldn't just say that and blow smoke at you. He told the truth. So people need to take Paul at his words here in Romans 15 and 14, uh, chapter 15, verses 14 and 15. You need to take Paul at his word. And I'm going to show you some other statements in this epistle that I pointed out in the past that make clear that the Roman church was a great church. They weren't founded by the apostle Peter, like the Catholic church says. Peter wasn't there. In fact, we know that because Paul says he'd never go, he'd never builds on another man's foundation. Therefore, he'd never go, and he, therefore, he, he, we know that Peter, he would never go to Rome if Peter, that was Peter's church. Church history says that Peter never even got there. So this, Paul's saying, I get a great opinion 
of you guys. And I'm not saying this, to, it's not hype exaggeration. I'm not being, what do they call it? Uh, I'm not trying to be, uh, you know, walk on the fence and try to be a politician. I'm not, I'm not trying to tell you something that's not true. I'm trying to tell you the truth. This is what I really believe you. I have the firm conviction that you guys are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able also to admonish one another. And he knew, and he knew people in Rome who gave him good reports about these people. So he was very excited to see them. So this word, this phrase, am convinced, if you look at verse 14, and concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced. Am convinced is a, the perfect passive indicative form of the verb, pitho. And this is used for Paul's firm personal conviction that the Romans, as a corporate unit, were characterized as being full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. This firm conviction, people, was based upon the fact that Paul had many friends in Rome, according to Romans 16, verses 1 through 16, who undoubtedly corresponded with Paul in writing, and they communicated information about Paul and this, uh, 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 about the Roman believers about their spiritual condition. So Paul's, you know, Paul's giving this his firm conviction about these Roman believers, sharing it his opinion of them, his firm conviction about the Roman believers, and it was based upon facts. He heard a lot of good things from people about them. I want you to hold your place, and I want to show you in Romans 16, verses 1 through 16, what I'm talking about. He knew a lot of people in Rome, and he sends greetings to them. Look at Romans 16, 1. Romans chapter 16, verse 1. Romans 16, 1. I commend to you our sister, Phoebe. Now, uh, some pronounce it in English, Phoebe, but it's actually pronounced Phoebe. Now, this word, uh, when it says, I commend to you our sister, Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is at Senecrea. She's the one who delivers this epistle. That you receive her. She's the one who, he, Paul trusted a woman with this epistle. I'm saying that, you know why? Because some guys, some guys think that women are not at, cannot be in a level spiritually as some men. That's a joke. You know who are the most dedicated people to the Lord Jesus Christ? Were women. Who was at the cross? Who supported Jesus? I'm not trying to blow smoke at the women. I'm just telling you what the scriptures say. Women supported Jesus' ministry. Look in the Gospels. Wealthy women did. We saw that Paul, throughout his epistles, he makes mention of women. They were a big part of his ministry. Now, don't miss this. In the Old Testament Israel, women were not on a par with men. They didn't have the opportunities in that sense, is what I'm saying. In the church age, there's neither male nor female, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither uh, slave man or free man. All are equal in Christ. That means each believer, whether they're male or female, slave or free man, are, or Jew or Gentile, they all have equal privilege and equal opportunity. So some women, if, if, here's a good motivation, some women in our church and other churches around the world might have higher positions of authority in Christ's millennial government than their own husbands. Because it all, they, they made more positive decisions. Oh, there's a motivation for men. You don't want to be outdone by your wife. You'll be serving your wife in the millennial reign. Oh, my goodness, that would be so funny. But anyways, 
the, sho- the shoes on the other foot. So look at what he says in verse Romans 16.1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church which is at Senecrea, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, that you help her in whatever manner she may have need of you. For she herself has also been a helper of many and my, of myself as well. Mention the rewards that she is going to get. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Also greet, also greet the church that is in their house. Greet Epinetus, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus, Junius, my kinsman and my fellow prisoners, who are outstanding among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Grant Amphiatus, Amphiatus, my beloved in the Lord, greet him. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. Stachus, my beloved. Greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my kinsman. Greet those of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphania. And Tryphosa, workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. That means this woman was a mother to Paul, is what he's saying. Look at all these people that he's noting. Some people don't like it when I go out and I commend people in our ministry for the work they've done for this ministry myself. It's biblically based. Paul did it to people in Romans. That doesn't mean you're not getting... Some people think, oh, if he, if, he, if he acknowledges me in public, that means I'm not going to get rewards now. That doesn't mean that. If I'm saying it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that's me trying to do the Holy Spirit through me trying to encourage you. So look at all these people that helped Paul. And what are we trying to... Why are we going here to this passage? Because these are the people that Paul knew. He's sending greetings to. And he's telling... He's basically giving us some insight. He knew all about them. He could give a firm conviction about the Roman believers that they're full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able also to admonish one another, as he says in Romans fifteen fourteen. because these people he knew and talked to him about the Roman believers, about their spiritual condition. Then he says, uh, uh, greet in verse 14, Asyncritus and Phlegion, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brethren with them. Greet Philagus and Julia, Nereus, uh, Nero, excuse me, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. So there we have a whole bunch of names. And we're going to go in detail about these individuals. We don't really know a heck of a lot. We, they were hard workers, we see. But it tells us a couple of things. One, Paul didn't do it alone. Paul had a lot of help. Paul solicited help. He wanted help. He needed their prayers. He needed help. Just like any pastor needs help. He can't do it alone. You're a part of a team. Same thing in the sports realm. Go to draw our analogy. As great as Tom Brady is, Tom Brady can't do it without a good team around him. If as great as as great as look at the Celtics. The Celtics are a great team. They played guys like LeBron James who are great individual players. But they didn't, he didn't have the team around him to beat the Celtics. The Celtics were a better team. One man, can't, the old Celtics, the Celtic teams of the past with Bill Russell used to beat Will Chamberlain. Chamberlain was the greatest player of all time. If you ask me, who could stop him? He was, a, he was Goliath. And yet the Celtics beat him all the time. They, I don't think once they beat him. Why was that? The Celtics had a team. Chamberlain was a one-man army. 
One man can't beat a team, someone who's playing together. So this tells us that every pastor needs help. And this passage is telling us that. It's also telling us that Paul, people, Paul knew people in Rome, and that's why he could have this great conviction about the Roman believers, that they were full of goodness, able to, uh, full of no, filled with knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. Now go back to Romans 15, 14, please. Hold your place in Romans 16, but look at Romans 15, 14, because I'm going to go back to Romans 16 in a minute. Look at Romans 15, 14. He says, And concerning you, brethren, my, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves, you yourselves is the word altos. And this refers to the Roman Christians, and it stands in contrast with Paul saying, I myself. They stand in contrast to each other. What does that mean? It's emphasizing on the Romans that whatever he wrote in the main argument, he does not believe for one minute that they were not doing everything he said to do or not to do in the main argument. Remember, he made a lot of commands in this epistle, a lot of prohibitions. It doesn't. Now, now he's saying to them, I don't think for one minute that you yourselves are guilty of anything. I, you, you're obeying everything I'm, I commanded and I prohibited in the main argument of the epistle. I'm convinced of that because of the reports I'm getting. So I want you to know that. Even though I wrote boldly to you in the epistle, giving you commands and prohibitions, and I've never even met you face to face, that doesn't mean for one minute that I don't think you're a great church. That's what he's saying here with this word yourselves. In fact, it says in Romans 16, 19, that Paul rejoiced over their obedience. Look at Romans 16, 19. Look at Romans 16, 19. Hold your place. Go to Romans 16, 19. Paul says in Romans 16, 19, For the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore, I am rejoicing over you. Now, does that sound like hyperbole? Does that sound like a, a, a polite exaggeration? No. This is how he felt about them. He had proper, he had good, accurate reports from people he could trust. And he is saying, I rejoice over you. Now, let's take Paul at his word. If we do... We know that the Roman church was a great church. And I say that because a lot of Bible teachers and Bible scholars, as I said before, men I respect, think the other way about these people, that they had problems with divisions. That's why he wrote Romans 14. That's not why he wrote Romans 14. He wrote Romans 14 to remind them so as to protect their fellowship so they won't fall into the trap of having divisions over non-essentials, which we studied in Romans 14. So, look at it again in verse 19. For the report of your obedience has reached to all... Remember, they're in the heart of the Roman Empire, the Roman church. Do you think Satan wanted that church there? No. He didn't want them there. They were right in the heart of the greatest empire, pagan empire in the world that was controlled by the devil. Listen to me. Every nation on the earth, except Israel, has an, every nation on the earth, except Israel, has a fallen angel over it, an authority over it. Because this is the devil's world, people. Michael, the elect angel, is over Israel protecting her. Every other nation is under the authority of the devil, temporarily. Satan is the god of this world. Don't you read 2 Corinthians 4.4? And so back then, it was no different. And Satan did not want the greatest nation in the world, the greatest pagan empire in the world, to have Christianity in it. Didn't want them there. And yet they were there. And no one knows for sure how the church started. I believe on the day of Pentecost, 
as it says in Acts chapter 2, Jews from all around the Roman Empire descended upon uh, Israel, uh, on, in Jerusalem. All the Jews from the Roman Empire, including Rome, descended on Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 souls get saved, and many of them went back to Rome, I believe, and gave the gospel. That's how the church started. So we see that the, the Roman believers here, the Roman believers, uh, Paul's rejoicing over the Roman believers. Uh, I, want you to, I want you to look at now uh, Romans uh, 1.8, but before you go there, it says in Romans 1.8, Paul tells the Romans that their faith is known throughout the churches in the Roman Empire. Look at Romans 1.8. So Satan doesn't want them there, yet they were there. And what I'm saying to you is, look at the pressure that was on these people. And yet they were a great church. And this brings out a little, a little thing for us. The Church of Jesus Christ, I know you guys, you want your country and you want everything to be, you know, quiet and everything, and that's, that's great. But I've come to the firm conviction that the Church of Jesus Christ, especially in America, would be better off if we had a little bit of problems and a little bit of pressure on us and a little bit of difficulties and a little bit of problems because it's only then, because we're all sinners, it's only then and stubborn that we sometimes pay attention to God. Some, some, Some can handle the prosperity. Prosperity is the biggest test for any believer because prosperity, it's so easy to forget about God when things are going good. It's when things are going bad that we say, oh, I need you, God. That's, I think most of us, not all of us, but most of us came to the Savior because of adversity in our life at that time. So what Satan did in the early first century is persecute the church, including these Roman believers. But what happened? They drew closer to the Lord. Their testimony became stronger, and more people got saved. And then he said, i got to stop doing this. And now he'd rather deal with give us prosperity and let us have an easy time of it, because then we'll forget about God. That is what Satan's, Satan's brilliant. And we see that we need, as a church, to always say, it, whatever it takes, Lord. If it's going to be adversity, fine. Whatever will draw me closer to you and get me to grow up spiritually, that I will take on in my life. If it means adversity, Father, give it to me. Because the ultimate, in the end, it matter, what matters is, did we grow up to become like Christ? And undeserved suffering is a part of the spiritual life, people. Read the Paul, read the Lord. If they persecuted the master, don't you think they're going to persecute us? But if you love the things of the world, you're not going to like that. That's why the prosperity gospel is so big in Christianity today. Tell me something that's going to mean more money for me and a relationship for me. Don't talk to me about sanctification and holiness. And don't talk to me about, you know, line-by-line teaching of the Word of God. Give me the abridged version. I want my ears tickled. And Paul warned Timothy in the Second Timothy chapter 4, in the last days, the church, people will want their ears tickled and they will accumulate teachers for themselves. We don't want to be like that because we're all going to have to give an account before the Lord and we want to do his will because he could come back at any moment, any moment. And if you don't think that, then you're not going to live, grow up to spiritual maturity because you're going to go do your own thing. So Romans 1.80 says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. The Roman Empire is what he's talking about. So if Paul, would you think Paul, if they, weren't, uh, uh, if they were not full of goodness, 
filled with knowledge and able also to admonish one another. If this wasn't true, do you think Paul would say otherwise? Do you think he'd lie to them? No, Paul told the truth. In the main argument, people, he wrote boldly to the Romans concerning some issues as he acknowledges in Romans 15, 15. However, in Romans 15, 14, he's emphasizing that contrary to the bold things he wrote them, his personal conviction is that they were full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another, and that he wrote them boldly on some things in the main argument as a reminder. Look at Romans chapter 15, verse 14 again. Romans 15, 14, And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. All right? Then why'd you write? But I have written very boldly to you on some point so as to remind you again. Repetition is good for you, he's saying. It protects you. So there we have. He is, he's writing to them. He wrote to them boldly as a reminder. He wrote boldly in this epistle, giving them commands, prohibitions, challenging them. That's because he loved them and also he's, he's reminding them. That means that the Roman believers were well taught. And we don't know their pastors. Remember, the, Roman, the city of Rome, like Cedar Rapids, has many churches. Like New York City, like any big major city in the world. They have many churches. And he's talking to that, the churches in Rome. And they met in homes primarily. Sometimes school rooms. But they, and if they were Jewish believers and the church, the, the leader of the synagogue was a Christian, they met in the synagogue, the Jewish synagogue. But primarily they met in house homes, little Bible studies. And they had their pastors in each of those homes, and they were the ones who were the unsung heroes that nobody knew about. They were so good at teaching the word of God that Paul said, you guys are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to also, to also to admonish one another. And I wrote to you in the epistle just to remind you, that means that these guys learned everything, already knew these things in the Roman epistle. Now that puts most churches to shame because most churches couldn't tell you what's in the book of Romans. It's the cathedral of Christian doctrine. As I said in the introduction and said all along, the church and throughout history has been greatly uh, prospered by the study of the book of Romans. Luther and Calvin taught it, and their congregations uh, uh, were uh, blessed with it spiritually. Uh, Augustine was it, was, it was, a, it was one of the books that brought about great evangelism. It also brought, a, brought about great spiritual um, uh, growth in the church. This epistle is a great, great epistle. It should be taught. And it was taught by a man who, Peter even admitted, and said at the end of one of his epistles, Second Peter 3, that some of the things Paul teaches were difficult. But you know what? Paul says, I'm reminding you, which means that they understood these things that we read in the Roman epistle. They were just being reminded. That tells you, this. They, they, these people knew the word of God. And that's the challenge to us. We should know the word of God. We should be, after a while, as it says in Hebrews 5, at the end of Hebrews 5, we should all learn to be, be able to teach one another. Not to become pastor teachers, but to teach one another. We should know our Bible. Old Testament, New Testament. After we finish Romans, we're going to go to jo the book of Jonah. And then when we have to finish Jonah, we'll go back to the New Testament, go back and forth. I'm trying to teach you the Bible. In fact, since I've been here in Iowa, 
We've taught, we've gone to almost every, I think every book, if I look at my records, every book, we've, since 2001, we've touched on at least one, each of these books in the Bible, at least once. So this is something, we should be familiar with our scriptures. We should know the Bible that way and apply it. That way we can be character, we could receive this from the Lord Jesus Christ at the Bema Seat. That we were a, a church that was characterized as full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. Then Paul says in Romans fifteen fourteen, he says, And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are, are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. You are is the word emi, and it means to possess a particular characteristic, which is identified by the word goodness indicating that Paul was of the conviction that the Roman believers possessed the characteristic of goodness. Now, what does that mean? Full of goodness describes the Roman Christians as a corporate unit as being thoroughly characterized by moral excellence in the sense that their conduct is characterized as being benevolent or benefiting others. They served each other. That's what we studied in chapters 12. With a spiritual gift, they used their spiritual gifts. They operated in love toward each other. They helped each other. They had fellowship with each other. They ate with each other. They drank with each other. They didn't get drunk with each other. They drank, ate, they fellowship with each other. They liked to be around each other. They were full of goodness. They cared about each other. They, they were benevolent means they benefited others. They, let me ask yourself a question. As you, ask yourself a question. I ask myself this question. This, this is a rhetorical if somebody was going to describe you, if a bunch of people were going to describe you, was it, would it be, this person cares about others. It's always, this person's always thinking about others and never themselves. That's a good description of you. If that's opinion, people's opinions of you, that's a good thing. But if, it, it's, is that true of everybody? Are we sometimes selfish and self-centered? And when, when somebody has a problem in the church, do we run away? Or do we go running to their aid? Do we care about people? Do we care what happens about people? Because that's what the Roman, this is what it means, full of goodness. They benefited each other. They helped each other out. Then this phrase, we need to know something too, that this phrase indicates that the Roman Christians as a corporate unit were characterized as obeying everything Paul prohibited and commanded in Romans chapter 12 all the way to Romans 15, 13. That section of the epistle was about relationships. And I thank God and our church, we have a lot of people who do care about each other. And there, there are a lot of people who do do these things, the character. And there are some people that they're still, I don't know if they're, they're new into the game, or they just they just haven't made the commitment to the body of Christ. It's like, well, I'm in, and I'm kind of in, Jesus. I don't know. Well, what are you waiting for? Are you going to wait till the rapture comes, and you're going to say, oh, oh, Jesus. Jesus, I was just ready to get serious with you. I was ready to go to church more often. I promise you that, Jesus, but you came back too soon. He ain't going to say that. He said, hey, I waited a long time. And uh, what were you doing? We don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. That's the one thing I fear is I hear that. I'm not afraid of the devil. I'm not afraid of getting losing my life. I'm not afraid of any of that. I'm afraid of him. Then I'm not going to please him in that sense. The one who died on the cross for me. See, as you, your attitude toward Jesus is your attitude, your attitude toward Jesus, the head, is your attitude toward, is it reflected in your attitude to the body of Christ? Did you pray for each other? Did you, did you help each other? Did you serve each other? Did you use your gift to help somebody? Did you love them? Did you pray for them? Or were you have, you were too busy with other things? Now, as Paul said to the Galatians, 
And for those of you who are already doing these things, get encouraged. But some are being convicted. And listen to what Paul said to the Galatians. Have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of the friend. Filled with all knowledge. He describes them as being, I'm of the conviction that you're filled with all knowledge. That means that the Roman Christians possessed a comprehensive, intellectual, and spiritual grasp or comprehension of the will of the Father, as revealed by the Spirit through the communication of the Word of God, i.e. the Gospel. And this was, they received this communication by the pastor, the teacher, and also the Spirit spoke to them through in prayer. When I say spiritual comprehension, people, I mean that the believer is accepted by faith the Spirit's teaching regarding the Father's will as the Spirit reveals this will through the communication of the Word of God by the pastor, teacher, and in prayer. When you hear the pastor teach, forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. When you were yet his enemy, Christ died on the cross for you. And then you're to, because you've been, because you've been forgiven because of Christ and his work, God has forgiven you through Christ, you are obligated to forgive each other. And not to have grudges toward each other. And, 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 and when you hear Christians holding grudges to other Christians and not being forgiving of each other, they're not, they don't have a spiritual comprehension. That's what this word's talking about. The Roman believers, they applied what they learned. They forgave as God in Christ has forgiven them. They prayed for each other. They helped each other. They put up with each other. They tolerated with each other. They got along with each other. They, someone, they, that person rubbed me the wrong way. They still got along with each other. They didn't divide over stupid personality conflicts. They cared about each other. They fellowship with each other. They applied what they were taught. I know Christians who sat in ministries for 20 years, and you know what? They never, ever served anybody in the church. I, when the church I came from, there were some people in the church who sat in the front row, listening to Bob McLaughlin teach, and he taught six times a week for years. Every day. And they, would, and they never, ever served. They never helped out any of the prep school. They, were, they never did anything. They were never involved in anything. They never helped out at all. They were there for 20 years. It's like, what are you waiting for? They weren't applying what they learned. That's what this, is, this phrase is talking about. Filled with all knowledge means you don't just have intellectual grasp of the subject. You know how it applies. That's what it's telling. Paul was convinced that they were like this because of the reports he received. Then we have the final description, the final assertion. He says that they were able, he was, had the firm conviction that they were able also to admonish one another. That indicates that the Roman Christians, as a corporate unit, possessed the ability to instruct each other as to how to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. They understood Galatians 6, 1 and 2. When somebody was doing something wrong, they were living in a life, they were living with somebody or they were, they were committing some sin, they were involved in a lifestyle, lifestyle of sin, they would go to their brother or sister in Christ and in gentleness and in love, they'd say, hey, you're doing the wrong thing. I love you. You've got to stop it. They understood that love sometimes means that you have to tell somebody that they're wrong. If you love your kids, do you let your kids walk, uh, go riding out drunk and, and driving out, around with people who are drunks and then they get wrapped up in a car accident? No, you will do everything you can to protect them and warn them because you love them. That's the way we should be with each other, to do whatever we can to protect each other, help each other. And in love, that means that we have to rebuke. In love with a rebuke and gentleness, 
And that sometimes people, and I, you're going to have to you're going to face it sometime. Sometimes you're going to lose friends. Some people people get mad at you, and they're not wise. They don't have any wisdom. Instead of taking a rebuke from a friend, they're going to continue doing what they're doing, and you lose them as a friend. Hey, at least you did the right thing. I've lost friends. I told them, and I said it in love, and I said, and people I love, and they just don't want to hear it. Let me do what I want to do. I said, well, my my hands are. I done what I'm supposed to do. And now I got to pray to you, but it. You're not going to listen. Where do we admonish one another? Where do we teach one another? Where do we coach each other? Help each other in the spiritual life? Where to help each other? The more mature women are supposed to help the immature women that are new into the word of God, and especially those who are single moms. Help, help each other, instruct each other. In fact, Joan's going to be, uh, Joan, you know who she is. She's going to end up moving pretty soon. She's going to need help. We have a lot of big, strong guys around here. We should be on the. I, I, I should have on be on alert for those people. Who else is in need? We should be on the alert for each other, helping each other. So this phrase, able also to admonish one another, indicates that the Roman Christians, as a corporate unit, possessed the ability to instruct each other as to how to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now, to summarize what we learned here this morning. In verse 14, that passage marks a transition from the main argument of the epistle, the sixth major section of the epistle, and the literary unit connected to the sixth major section. And this verse is giving us a transition to the seventh and final section of the epistle. In this passage we've seen this morning, Paul addresses the Romans as a corporate unit and as fellow members of the royal family of God, expressing his firm personal conviction that all of them were indeed characterized as being full of goodness filled with all knowledge and able to admonish one another. He feels it's important, people, to share this conviction with his readers because he wrote boldly to them in the main argument. And he acknowledges, he wrote boldly to them concerning some issues as he acknowledges in Romans 15, 15. So in verse 14, he is emphasizing that contrary to the bold things he wrote to them, his personal conviction is that they were indeed characterized as being full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. He asserts his conviction that the Roman Christians were characterized as being full of goodness, which means that they were morally excellent in the sense that their conduct was characterized as benefiting others. They loved God and they loved each other. You can't love each other the way God wants you to love each other if you don't first love him. If you love him, you'll do what he tells you to do. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And what was the great commandment? Love one another as I loved you. Self-sacrificially, it might cost you. It might cost you time with your family for the sake of another brother in Christ or sister in Christ. That's the way Jesus operated. That's the way the apostles operated. That's the way the Roman church operated as a corporate unit. This implies that they are righteous. The Roman believers are righteous in the sense that they did right by each other and were operating thus in divine love towards each other because love, as we saw in Romans 13.10, never commits evil against one's neighbor. This conduct is the result of obeying the Spirit's teaching and the Word of God. When I'm teaching the Word of God, you can sit there and look at me in two different ways. You could say, this guy is a jerk, or this guy is a fake, he's a phony, or the Spirit's talking to this guy, through this guy, and I better listen to him. And you can tell if a guy, if the Spirit is working through him, if he can back up what he says with Scripture. Because if he's not teaching from the Scriptures... He's teaching from his own, his own opinions. 
in the word of God is the authority of the pastor. The word of God gives him his authority. So the spirit is speaking to the congregation. I'm just the vehicle that God's using. Pastors are just the vehicle that he uses. It's what he says that is really important. His conduct's important too. What he says is important. Spirit is speaking. Listen to what the spirit is saying to the church. That's why I say, if you can't be here, there's no reason to miss a class. Look at the technology. Look at the work Titus puts up there. The money you guys put into the ministry so we could have a website. And you could, you could listen to every class. You don't have to miss a class. You can get it on CD. It's unwritten form. There's no reason to miss it. No reason at all. No reason to miss the Spirit's teaching. This, this first assertion about the Roman Christians indicates that they were characterized as obeying everything Paul prohibited and commanded in Romans 12.1 all the way to Romans 15.13. The second assertion was that the Romans had an intellectual and spiritual grasp or comprehension of the will of the Father as revealed by the Spirit through the communication of the Word of God by the pastor, teacher, and in prayer. Again, by spiritual comprehension, I mean that the Roman believers had accepted by faith the Spirit's teaching regarding the Father's will as the Spirit reveals this will through the communication of the Word of God by the pastor, teacher, and in prayer. The Word of God reveals to you the Father's will. The Father's will is revealed to us by the Spirit and the Word. The third and final assertion as we close was that the Roman Christians were characterized as possessing the the capacity to instruct one another as the proper Christian conduct. If you don't know your Bible, you can't do this. If you know your Bible, you can do it. If you know how to apply it. And it's not going to come overnight. You're not going to be able to become a mature Christian in one year or two years. It takes a long time, a lot of work, and a lot of effort. And you, you learn, you know, for instance, people say, how can you remember certain scripture up there without even, because I've heard it, I've been taught for so long, I've been studying for so long, I've given my whole adult life to it, to the word of God. I've never been married, never had any kids. What else am I going to do with my time? Nothing else. This is what I do. This is, I don't, I don't think there's anything more important. You got to put the time into it is what I'm saying. And if you put the time into it, there's no, there's no accident. You put the time and the work into it, you're going to bear fruit. You're going to find, wow. And a lot of you are on that road. A lot of you are on that road. A lot of you are serious about your relationship with God. And some are not. And my prayer is that the ones who are not will get serious. Because you're only going to get blessed if you do so. And you'll also bless other people. So this third assertion indicates that the Roman Christians were experiencing fellowship with one another, and we're communicating with each other and experiencing the companionship aspect of Christian fellowship. You know, we got to be involved with each other. You know, don't, you know, there is privacy, but some people use privacy, the doctrine of privacy as an excuse not to get involved. That's crazy. That's, that's, you're misapplying the doctrine of privacy. You got to, you got to, you got to understand that we all have needs. We all need encouragement. We all need to be helped. We all, we're all dependent upon each other. The Bible teaches that. We study that in Romans 12. We're members of one another. My hand needs my arm. And it needs my head. My leg needs the head. Same with the body of Christ. We all need each other. We all need Christ. We can do nothing without him and his spirit. And we can do nothing without each other. We need each other. We need to invest time in each other. The people 
who make the most impact, people, in our lives. And you could probably say that for people in your own life. I know I can. And people who made an impact in my life were people who took the time to invest in my life. And I think of the, the Bob McLaughlin's that, that invested time in my life. People that were the people that led me to the Lord. The people in my life that invested time in me and my life made a huge impact on me. We need to be like those people. Every Christian should be like that. Make an impact on each other. Because then it's not it's, you're not a success because you have a lot of money and you have a lot of people loving you because you have a lot of money and a lot of fame. That doesn't mean that you're a great person. What makes you great is God's opinion of you. If you, Jesus said, you're to serve one another in love, just as I have loved and served you. That's who's great in the kingdom of God. So this is what the Roman church was all about. And as I said at the beginning of the hour, this is something for us to shoot for. I want to be a great pastor. I want to be someone that Jesus is pleased with. And if Paul was here, I'd want him to say this about my congregation, that you're full of, uh, uh, you're able to admonish one another, filled with all knowledge. I would, lo- I would love to hear that, hear that about you, and I would like to hear that I was pleasing to the Savior and to the Master. You should want that too, and I know many of you do, because that's all we want to hear. Well done, good, faithful servant. Everything else is gravy. Just want to give me that well done, good and faithful servant, Bill. I want to hear that. I want you all to hear that. But we got to make the, and those of you who are doing this, keep going. God hasn't forgot, God is a just God. He will reward you for what you're doing and doing now. He will reward you. He sees your work and effort. Some people might not see it. That doesn't matter. God does. He'll reward you. And for those who just haven't made that, all right, I'm ready to get. Now's the time to get serious because you don't know if the Lord's coming back tomorrow or tonight. You don't know. So we want to be found doing the master's will. We don't want to be off doing our own thing, living for self, loving the world, the cosmic system. We want to be about the master's work. We want to hear. We want to be, we want to be characterized as a church. We want to be characterized as a church that was full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. That's what we need to shoot for as a church. So, let us begin. Father, we just thank you for this time to study your word. We just thank you for everyone here. We thank you for your people who are here. And we thank you so much for those who have been so faithful to this ministry and giving their time, talent, and treasure and praying for this ministry that care about your word, your plan. And we thank you for all the wonderful things that you've done for us as a church. It's coming up on nine years here in August. It's hard to believe. We thank you, Father, for the leadership in our church, the men in our congregation that serve as deacons. We just thank you, Father, for their selfless service and many things that nobody knows that they do behind the scenes for the body of Christ. We thank you for them and all the others in our ministry that are in different parts of this ministry and that take care of the building and mow the lawn and, and do uh, help out on the internet and teach in the prep school and uh, do the, uh, the coffee and donuts on, on the, the Day of the Lord series, that day when we have the Lord's Supper. We just thank you, Father, all these individuals that uh, love you and love your, love your people, and we pray that you would encourage them and strengthen them, Father, according to your word. We pray also that this message would also be a rebuke, if necessary, to those who aren't doing this. 
and a challenge to those who aren't uh, getting serious about their relationship with you. And we just pray, Father, for them, that they would see that this message was spoken in love and a caring fashion under the Spirit's guidance and direction, and that the Spirit only wants what's best for us. So, we, Father, we just pray that this message would go a long way in blessing this ministry and other believers throughout the world. In our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Could our ashes come forward for the Sunday morning offering, please? What's that? Real quick, as part of uh, this being Memorial Day weekend, uh, I think Pastor Bill is going to finish up doing the Star Spangled Banner. But I thought I'd tell you, I had to travel this week, and uh, in doing so, I had to fly through Moline. And uh, I was lucky enough to come in right behind a group of veterans that were going out to D.C. You've heard of that, where they fly World War II veterans out to D.C. Anyway, my flight come back in, and, and I was talking to a few of them, and one of them on the back of his shirt uh, said, um, if you can read this, thank a teacher. If you can read this in English, thank a veteran. So I thought that was pretty appropriate. I enjoyed that. So <clears throat> now is the time for us to meet the needs of this ministry. And uh, as with all things, we should give uh, according to the Lord, and it's between you and the Lord. If you are here visiting this morning, uh, we are just happy you are here. Please put away your wallet, your billfold, and so forth. And uh, with that being the case, let's bow our heads and pray uh, for the offering. Father, we pray this offering that would be given out of uh, love and appreciation for you and your son, Jesus Christ, and all that you have done for us. Father, we thank you for those who take part in giving, as well as those who continue to offer their time and talent to meet the needs of this ministry. Thank you for the blessings and answered prayers of this church, allowing us to meet our daily needs and to continue to provide the gospel message to the world. Thank you, Father, for those in our service this morning and for our extended congregation for their faithfulness and dedication to this ministry from around the world. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Could y'all rise, please? Could y'all rise?
want to sing a song for you, Lord. Lord, for you, I want to sing a song. And I want to lift my voice to heaven. And listen to the angels sing along. Song of your faithfulness. Song of your grace. And of your loving kindness to the glory of your name. Everything that's in me, Lord, listen to me say. I want to sing a song to you. I want to sing a song. Lord, for you I want to live my life I want to praise the name of Jesus You pray above all things, you're glorified Song of your faithfulness, song of your grace And of your loving kindness to the glory of your name Everything that's in you, Lord, listen to I want to sing a song to you I want to sing a song Sing about your mercy Sing about your love Your goodness, Lord, your righteousness I want to sing a song of your faithfulness Song of your grace And of your loving kindness to the glory of your name Everything that's in the Lord Listen to me say I want to sing a song to you I want to sing a song Song of your faithfulness oh, oh. And of your loving kindness To the glory of your name Everything that's in the Lord Listen to me say I wanna sing a song for you. I wanna sing a song. Who will sing holy, holy, holy? We'll shout holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, are you Lord Almighty? Yes, you are holy, Lord. I'll sing a song. Yeah. You're just next. 